0: So tonight's Bible readings from Ephesians chapter 4, um, verses 1, uh, 11 to 16. Sorry. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints of the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love.
1: Thanks, Catherine. Good evening, everyone. How are we going tonight? Let's open in prayer. Dear God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you that we can come and worship you here and uh, Lord I pray right now that uh, the words that I speak will be your words and that your holy Spirit will move in this place tonight I pray these things in Jesus name amen i've heard from my parents that when I was younger I was a good little boy uh, that when my parents asked me to do things on the whole like I wasn't perfect but on the whole i I did them so if mum asked me to clean my room I did it if you know I was asked to help look after my little brothers I did it Now, I'm not sure whether my good little boy perception is sort of skewed slightly because the brother that was below me was a bit of a handful, so therefore I was made to look more awesome than what I really was, but apparently I was a good little boy. Now, it wasn't until recently that I worked out why this was the case. Uh, I recently read a book uh, by an author called Gretchen Rubin. The book's called Better Than Before, and it talks about habits Uh, And in The Forming of Habits, she talks about how there's a lot to do with expectations. And there are two types of expectations. There are outward expectations, for instance, like at work, if your boss expects you to do something, then that's a motivator. Or there are inward expectations, which would be like you resolving to do some sort of New Year's resolution. Reading this book, taking those two expectations, people fall into predominantly four different categories. I worked out that I am an upholder, which means that I can set my own inward expectations. So if I'm going to exercise three times next week, I'll do it. That's my own expectation. And I'll uphold the expectations of other people. So for instance, when I was younger and my mum said, clean my room, I just went, yes. There are other types though. Uh, one of the other categories is called an obliger, which means that you meet the expectations of other people. So let's say that you were going to exercise and you were meant to meet a friend to exercise with them. You would bend over backwards to make sure that you got there because your other friend is expecting you to come. But if you're an obliger and you decide to exercise yourself, you're not going to do it because no one is keeping you accountable, so you don't do it. One of the other categories is a rebel where you just rebel against all categories and you don't care whether expectations are coming from outside or yourself, you just don't do them. And the fourth one then is you're a questioner, which means that you are happy to meet the expectations of either people outside or yourself, provided that you can justify why the expectation needs to be done. So you question a lot before you get that justification. So, for instance, if you were a questioner and my mum said to you, go and clean your room, you would say, why? And proceed to have some sort of discussion to try and justify it. And if the answer was, because I said so, too bad that doesn't meet your expectations, you're not doing it. Make sense? Now, while people fall into those four categories, I reckon all of us have a bit of questioner in us. I reckon there are times when we see things and we ask, Why? Now, one of those why questions could be, why do you have to make your bed? Because I got out of my bed this morning, and if I don't make it, it makes it a lot easier for me to just get back into bed at the end of the day, and I could spend that time doing much more important things, like looking at Facebook. So why do we have to clean our room? Now, I told that to Rachel, and she rabbit off all these statistics about, apparently if you make your room, your room looks 80% cleaner than if you don't, and and the upholder in me is saying, just do it. But people may question, why do you have to make your bed? Now, that may seem like a silly example, but I reckon with regard to following Jesus, there are times when we question why about certain things, that there are sort of the expectations like, you know, we should read our Bible. Why? You know, that if you're a follower of Jesus, it's good to pray or it's It's good to, you know, give money, like in the tithes or to charity or, you know, you should love people. Well, why? I think one of the questions is, why should you come to church? In Matthew 28, the end of the chapter, uh, Jesus has been crucified, buried, raised back to life. And then he meets up with his disciples and he says the following... Starting from verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So that passage is known as the Great Commission, where Jesus tells his disciples, You need to go and tell people about me. You know the good news about me. Your job is to go and make more disciples by going and telling others. And this great commission is also true for us, in that if we're followers of Jesus, then we should be going and sharing that good news with other people who don't know about it, so through the Holy Spirit's help, these people can become disciples. Now, as I read this, I could do this on my own, as in like as a follower of Jesus I should, but it doesn't say, Jesus didn't say, go therefore and... Get a group of five other people, make sure you've got three boys and three girls and go and make disciples. Or you and look it's good to have some ethnicities in your group so make sure you've got some people from other countries in there, someone who's good at sport is also handy, Um, have someone who can play guitar and all of you guys now go and make disciples. It just says go, make disciples. So if this is something that I can do on my own, why then should I come to church? Tonight we're starting a new series called Lego Church, where over the next two weeks we're going to be having a look at some different aspects of church. Disclaimer, throughout these two weeks we're not going to cover all the different aspects of church, because that's like a massive, massive topic. But we're going to have a look at a couple of different things. And tonight we're looking at the question of, why should we come to church? And the answer from the passage that we've read tonight is that God uses the church to grow us individually and as a group. So we're going to explore this passage tonight to see how God uses the church to grow us individually and as a group. And the first part we see, so please keep your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 4, is in verse 12, begins with that God uses the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry that's us. As in, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a Christian, then the Bible says that you are a saint. Examples of that can be found in Romans chapter 1 verse 7, Paul writing to the Roman guys and says, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. And then in Revelation fourteen twelve, I said, here is a call for the endurance of the saints those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. So we, if you're a follower of Jesus, are a saint. And so God uses the church to equip us as Jesus' followers to go and do ministry, to go and do his work. Now, the implication, therefore, is that... Sorry, I'll backtrack... To do that, the answer to how God does that is in verse 11. Now, another disclaimer, there is a massive theological debate around verse 11 for another time that I'm not talking about tonight. But essentially, God gives certain people certain gifts. As listed in verse 11, people who are pastors, people who are teachers of the Bible, and God gives gifts to those people Which are then gifts to the church and through those people he equips all of us to be able to do God's work. Does that make sense? I'm not going into the meanings of all of those things because that's too long a discussion. So using those gifts, God then uses the church to equip us to do his work. The implication there is that if you're being equipped through the church to do ministry, then you're being equipped to actually go and do the ministry so you should be doing the ministry that you're being equipped for. Part one. Part two, then, is that God uses the church to grow us not only individually, but also as a group. We see that in the second half of verse 12, where God uses the church in building up the body of Christ. As individuals, we're known as saints. When we have a collective group of us, the Bible talks about how we are called a body. Now, the example of that is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 12 to the end, uh, verse 31, describes how the, body, how the body of Christ is made up of heaps of different people. Verse 12 says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. So you get the picture of a community. I am one body. I am made up of many parts. There are arms and skin and lungs, a few muscles, but they all come together to make my body. And that's the picture that we see throughout 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that God joins all of us as individual members together to form a body. It goes on to say that members shouldn't look at other members and go, oh, I'm not like that person, so therefore I shouldn't be part of the body. No, all the different pieces are necessary. Or someone else shouldn't say, oh, we don't need you because you're not good. No, we need all of the different pieces of the body to work together to form the one body. So you can't help but see this level of community that comes with church. And I think that we've actually sort of lost some of this, particularly in society now where everything seems to be very... Much about the individual, and I think sometimes we come to church and look that way as well, and think, "Look, if I decide to sin, that yes, my sin is going to affect my relationship with God, but that's just between me and God. I'm not going to affect anybody else." Or, you know, it doesn't matter if I don't come to church because that's only just about me. I'm not affecting other people. Or if I choose not to serve, then I'm not really sort of affecting anyone else. It's just me. Well, Bible's clear that's not the case. There's a community here and I can't help but be drawn back to a story in Joshua chapter 6 where God was taking the Israelites to the promised land and they'd just smashed Jericho. And God had said, you guys are going to smash Jericho, but everything that's inside Jericho is going to be devoted to me. Do not take anything. So they go and smash Jericho. And then next city on the list is AI, which I think is how it's pronounced. So some spies wander down to Ai and come back and tell Joshua, look, this place is a sorry state of a city, really. It's pretty useless. Don't send the whole army. Just send a couple of thousand and we'll go down and smash it and it'll all be good. Down they go. And the Israelites get routed by the city of Ai and come running back. And Joshua's like, oh, what is going on, God? I thought that we were following your plan. And God goes, yes, but someone in your community has not done the right thing. And through several castings of lots, it all falls on a guy called Achan. And it's revealed that when he was in Jericho, he coveted some gold, silver and a cloak and took it. And I re- reckon he thought, ah, oh, look, this is just between me and God. You know, this is not going to affect anyone else. So as a result of that one guy, when the army then went out to try and take AI... Not only did they get routed, but 36 of the Israelites in that army died that day because of this one guy who was disobedient. Now, I'm not suggesting that if you nicked a chocolate bar from IGA before church that 36 of us are going to die on the way home. But what I am suggesting is that I think that we need to stop looking at things from an individual perspective because the Bible talks about the fact that we are a community, that we are a body, and therefore my actions affect you and your actions affect everyone else within that community. We are all interconnected and therefore we have a responsibility to each other within that group. What then is God trying to achieve through this? We see the answer in verse 13 where it says that God uses the church until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So God uses the church to grow us individually and as a group so that we will grow up into unity and maturity. Unity from the point of view that when we become followers of Jesus, when we have our sins forgiven through what Jesus did on the cross, we receive the Holy Spirit in us. So each of you who are followers of Jesus have the Holy Spirit in you and we are united through the same Holy Spirit, through the same saving faith in Jesus. We see evidence of that unity at the start of chapter 4. Starting at verse 1, Paul writes, I, therefore one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You can't help but see the unity there that Paul is wanting the church to attain. How are you contributing to that? Through being humble, through being gentle, through being patient, through bearing with one another in love. The word bearing there, I think, can almost be translated as putting up with. How are you putting up with people here that you don't like, but doing it in love? So not only is it about unity, but it's also about maturity, about growing up to be more like Jesus, so that we're not like the people described in verse 14, where it says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. God is using the church for all of us individually and corporately to be growing up to be more like Jesus, to becoming more mature. And there are times throughout the Bible when the writers of certain books actually get stuck into the churches they're writing to because they're not maturing. Paul writes to the Corinthians, and we know that the Corinthians had a few issues. Uh, In chapter 3 of uh, 1 Corinthians, it starts with, but... I brothers could not address you as spiritual people but as people of the flesh as infants in Christ I fed you with milk not solid food for you were not ready for it and even now you are not ready for you are still of the flesh for while there is jealousy and strife among you you are not of the you are not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way And the writer of Hebrews in chapter 5 from verse 11 says, "...about this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child." But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. So these people were writing to various churches and people and saying, you guys have got to grow up. There's a call to be mature in our faith, to be growing more and more like Jesus each and every day. I think sometimes that we fall into the habit of assuming that when we become a Christian that we've crossed the finish line, that we become aware that we're sinful people and that our sin separates us from God. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can have our sins forgiven and that, that we're made alive again and that we're renewed spiritually and that we're adopted into God's family and think, you know, we're saved, we're over the, lo- we're over the finish line, we're done. no yes, becoming a Christian is a major thing, but it is just the start then of a journey for the rest of our earthly lives that God then takes us on a journey where through the Holy Spirit, he shapes us to be more and more like Jesus each and every day. And that we're called to be more and more spiritually mature as we grow. Deep kids, tell me What is in this packet? Do you remember week two of the start of this year? Where Rachel and I spoke about how we were going to be using deep throughout the year to help you guys to grow in your relationship with God and you wrote a letter to Future, insert your name here, about how you were going to grow. Yes, I'm going to send them to you at the end of the year. Can you remember what you wrote? How are you growing in your relationship with God? God calls all of us to be growing into maturity. Can I add there? You may be someone who's only just recently become a Christian, and then you're looking around at other people and going, Whoa, look how mature those people are. I can't be like that. There's. N- my understanding is is it's not like that you just become a christian and then bang you mature like you know i've got kids at home they don't just sort of go to bed and then wake up the next day and be like 20 years older and be really mature it takes time but i think the deal is though that if you've been a christian for any length of time and if you look back six months two years you should see the way in which you're becoming more and more like jesus and if you're not that's not cool God uses the church to grow us individually and as a group. So how is God using the church to grow you? How is he growing you individually? In that, how are you being equipped to do God's work? Next week, we're going to be looking at spiritual gifts. So I'm not going to talk too much about that tonight, but how... Is God equipping you and how are you using your spiritual, spiritual gifts to do God's work? If you're an encourager, how are you being equipped and then how are you then going and encouraging? If you're someone who has the gift of teaching or the gift of helps or whatever the other gifts are that are listed in the Bible, how are you being equipped through the church and then how are you using those gifts to do God's work? How is God using the church to grow you into maturity how are you going with reading your bible and are you how are you going and taking the time to not only just read it but to study it and apply it are you reading books that are helping you to grow more and more in your um, maturity and more in your relationship with god the result though of what God is trying to achieve through the church verses 15 and 16 it says rather speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love When the church functions the way that God intends, the idea is that there's growth, both individually and together. Spiritual growth, that we can see that there are more unity, that there's more maturity. Sort of like the picture, and this is the picture I get. It's sort of like, I have a responsibility to you guys, and as I grow, I then help the whole group to grow and if all of us are doing that then the group grows and as the group grows then we all grow individually from the others in the group and so it continues to grow and grow and grow and we see God do awesome things is that not something that you want to be a part of you can just see that perpetual motion of all of us growing from each other and growing as a group and seeing God do great things so to answer the question why do you come to church You come to church because God uses the church to grow us individually and as a group. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for tonight and we thank you for this passage in Ephesians and we thank you that you use the church here to grow us as individuals, to equip us to do the work that you've called us to do. And to also grow us as a group, grow us into unity and to grow us in maturity in a way where we grow more and more like Jesus each and every day through your Holy Spirit. Lord, we know that there are times when we fight you, uh, where we think that it's all about us uh, and not thinking about it as a collective group. And Lord, we're sorry for those times please help us throughout this week to remember that you use the church here to grow us as individuals, yes, but to not neglect the idea of community here as well, Lord, and the responsibility that each of us have to each other, and that we can encourage one another, all of us together, to grow more and more like Jesus each and every day.
0: We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.